Welcome to Current Radio's Technology Station. Please enjoy today's selection of technology news. Big news from Google, Celeste. They're planning to allow users to store their location data on their devices rather than on Google servers. This is a significant shift from the... Hold on, James. Are you saying Google's ending that long-standing practice of storing location data on their servers? The one that let law enforcement tap into the data? Exactly, Celeste. It's a practice that's been under scrutiny, especially with the rise of geofence warrants, a tool used by police to request data on which devices were in a certain area at a specific time. Right, and there's been some controversy around that, hasn't there? Critics argue it's unconstitutional because it can include data from innocent people who just happened to be nearby when a crime was committed. Indeed, and Google's move to store location data on users' devices could be a game-changer here. They didn't mention geofence warrants specifically, but this change would mean that police would need to seek a warrant to access a specific device, rather than requesting the data from Google. That does sound like a significant shift. But Google isn't the only company that's been subject to geofence warrants, right? True, but Google has been the biggest collector of sensitive location data. The practice of police tapping into Google's location data was first revealed back in 2019. Google's advertising business, which brought in about 80% of their annual revenues in 2022, relies heavily on on users' location data. So this move to store data on devices could potentially impact their advertising business? It's a possibility, Celeste. But it's also worth noting that the use of geofence warrants has extended beyond Google. Other companies like Microsoft and Yahoo have also received these warrants. The number of legal cases involving geofence demands have surged in recent years. So it's not just about one company, it's a broader issue of data privacy and how law enforcement uses technology. Absolutely. And while Google's move is seen as a positive step, it's not going to eliminate geofence warrants overnight. Google still retains a vast amount of historical location data that police can access. And as long as tech companies store users' location data, they can be subject to similar legal demands. But it's a start, right? And it could potentially lead to other tech giants following suit. It'll be interesting to see how this develops and how it impacts the ongoing debates around data privacy and surveillance. Speaking of tech companies making significant moves, let's shift our focus from Google's data privacy changes to the world of cryptocurrency. Robinhood, the popular investment platform, is making headlines as it aims to broaden its reach within the crypto community. Let's dive into what this could mean for both novice and seasoned investors alike. So, Robinhood, the popular investment platform, is pushing deeper into the crypto world. You know, it's been around for over a decade, but it's still trying to expand its crypto efforts. Right? And they're not just targeting the tech-savvy crowd. Johan Kerbrat, Robinhood's GM of crypto, said that they're trying to make crypto more accessible. He believes that most users don't care about the technicalities, they just want it to work. Exactly. And while Robinhood has done a good job educating novice crypto investors, they're now trying to cater to everyone. They're even introducing more advanced features like crypto wallet transfers and stop loss. Wait, stop loss? Isn't that a bit advanced for the average user? Well, that's the point. They're trying to serve both ends of the spectrum. They're not just a platform for beginners anymore. They're doing research to understand what their customers want 
and what they're missing out on. But didn't Robinhood limit trading and holding of certain cryptocurrencies for U.S. customers last, last June? That was around the same time when the U.S. government was cracking down on major exchanges like Binance and Coinbase. True, but it's worth noting that Robinhood still has 14 cryptocurrencies and one stablecoin, USDC, available for users to buy and sell. It seems like they're trying to strike a balance between offering a wide range of crypto options and complying with regulations. So they're trying to be a one-stop shop for both novice and advanced crypto investors, all while navigating a complex regulatory environment. That's quite the tightrope to walk. Absolutely. But if they can pull it off, it could mean a whole new era for crypto investing. From Robinhood's ambitious crypto endeavors, let's shift our focus to another tech giant that's been making headlines recently. This time, it's about a feature that was meant to bring families closer together. However, it seems to have landed the company in a bit of a legal hot water. Apple's family sharing feature has been in the spotlight recently, hasn't it? They've just agreed to a $25 million settlement over a class action lawsuit. Yes, the lawsuit was filed back in 2019, and it alleged that Apple was misrepresenting the ability to share app subscriptions through its family sharing feature. But it's interesting to note that Apple maintains it did nothing wrong. Absolutely. In fact, the settlement agreement states that Apple's decision to settle was more about avoiding the burden and expense of continuing to defend the lawsuit rather than admitting any fault, liability, or wrongdoing, right? But here's the question, James. What exactly was the issue with the family sharing feature? Well, court documents indicate that Apple advertised family sharing as an option for apps that didn't actually support it. The document reads, the vast majority of subscription-based apps, which is a growing percentage of Apple apps, cannot be shared with designated family members. So, basically, people thought they could share these apps with their family members, only to find out after they've paid that it wasn't possible. That must have been quite frustrating. Exactly. And the lawsuit alleges that Apple was aware of this discrepancy, but still advertised family sharing on these apps. It's estimated that millions of consumers have been impacted by this. And now, U.S. residents who were enrolled in a family sharing group between June 2015 and January 2019 and purchased a subscription to an app during that time may be eligible for a payment, right? Yes, that's correct. Each eligible class member that files a claim could receive up to $30, though this may vary depending on how many people file claims but the payment won't exceed $50 for each class member, and and $10 million of the settlement will go toward attorney fees. Eligible class members have until March 1st, 2024 to file a claim. This is definitely a significant development in the tech world. Indeed, it is. And it's a reminder of the importance of transparency and accuracy in advertising, especially when it comes to tech features that affect millions of consumers. From one tech giant to another, Let's shift our focus to Google and Alphabet. They're facing their own legal challenges as well. This time, it's a class action lawsuit filed by an Arkansas-based publisher accusing them of anti-competitive behavior. Let's delve into that. So Celeste, it seems Google and Alphabet are in hot water again. A class action lawsuit was filed this week accusing them of anti-competitive behavior. The case was filed by the Arkansas-based publisher, Helena World Chronicle. Hold on, James. Isn't this the same Google 
that's been in the crosshairs of antitrust regulators for a while now. What's the issue this time? Well, the lawsuit argues that Google is effectively starving the free press by sharing publishers' content on Google, costing them billions of dollars. They claim that Google is siphoning off their content, readers, and ad revenue through anti-competitive means. And they're pointing fingers at new AI technologies like Google's search generative experience and Bard AI chatbot as exacerbating the problem. Wait a minute. So they're saying that Google is not only taking their content, but also their readers and ad revenue? And AI is making it worse? That's correct. The suit also mentions Google's older technologies, like the Knowledge Graph launched in 2012, where Google displays a knowledge panel to the right of the search results. This panel contains a summary of content drawn from the Knowledge Graph database, which Google compiled by extracting information from publishers' websites and open source and licensed databases. So in essence, Google's been using the publisher's content to feed its database and provide answers to users' queries. But how does AI come into play here? Good question. The suit tackles how AI will impact publishers' businesses. When online magazine The Atlantic modeled what would happen if Google integrated AI into search, it found that 75% of the time, the AI would answer the user's query without requiring a click-through to its website, thereby losing it traffic. This is a huge concern since Google drives nearly 40% of their traffic. That sounds like a significant loss of traffic, but surely there must be some publishers trying to get ahead of this problem? Indeed, some publishers are taking proactive steps. For instance, Axel Springer recently inked a deal with OpenAI to license its news for AI model training. But overall, publishers believe they'll lose somewhere between 20 to 40% of their website traffic when Google's AI products fully roll out. So Google's AI advancements are seen as a threat to publishers. But what about this walled garden concept? Is it related to Google's AI? Yes, the lawsuit claims that Google's AI-based search technologies like SGE offer web searchers a way to seek information in a conversational mode, but ultimately keeps users within Google's ecosystem as it plagiarizes their content. Publishers can't even block SGE because it uses the same web crawler as Google's general search service, Googlebot. That's quite a predicament for publishers. But then what about Google's Bard AI? How does it fit into this picture? The lawsuit alleges that Google's Bard AI was trained on a dataset that included news, magazine, and digital publications. This raises concerns about the use of publishers' content in training AI without their consent or compensation. So what are the publishers asking for in this lawsuit? They're asking for damages and an injunction that would require Google to obtain consent from publishers to use their website data to train its AI products. They also want Google to allow publishers who opt out of SGE to still show up in Google search results, among other things. This lawsuit seems to be part of a larger trend. Google reached an agreement last month with the Canadian government to pay Canadian media for the use of their content. And the U.S. Justice Department has also filed a lawsuit against Google for monopolizing digital ad technologies. Yes, it's certainly a complex issue. The implications are far-reaching, not just for Google and the publishers, but also for the future of AI and how it interacts with content creation and distribution. It's a story we'll be watching closely.